0: Chapter 4 of the Trawler. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Roger Moline. The Trawler by James Brendan Connolly. Chapter 4 It was a blood-red sunrise and a sea that was making when we left the vessel, but nothing to worry over in that. It might grow into a dory killing day later but so far it was only what all winter trawlers face more days than they can remember we picked up our nearest buoy with its white and black flag floating high to mark it and as we did to windward of us we could see for 5 miles it might be the twisted lines of the dories stretching rising to the top of a sea we could see them sometimes one and sometimes another lifting and falling and the vessel lifting and falling to windward of em all. Hugh Glynn took the bow to do the hauling and myself the waist for coiling, and it was a grand sight to see him heave it on that heavy gear on that December morning. Many men follow the sea, but not many are born to it. Hugh Glynn was. Through the girty he hauled the heavy lines, swinging forward his shoulders, first one and then the other, swaying from his waist and all in time to the heave of the sea beneath him, and singing as he heaved the little snatches of songs that I believe he made up as he went along. As he warmed to his work, he stopped to draw off the heavy sweater that he wore over his woolen shirt, and made as if to throw it in the bow of the dory. "'But no,' he said, "'it'll get wet there. You put it on, Simon, and keep it dry for me. He was a full size bigger than me in every way, and I put it on, over my cardigan jacket and under my oil jacket, and it felt fine and comfortable on me. It came time for me to spell him on the hauling, but he waved me back. "'Let be, let be, Simon,' he said. "'It's fine, light exercise for a man of a brisk morning. It's reminding me of my hauling of my first trawl on the banks.' looking back on it now simon i mind how the bravest sight i thought i ever saw was our string of dories racing afore the tide in the sea of that sunny winter's morning and the vessel like a mother to her little boats standing off and on to see that nothing happened the while we hauled and coiled and gaffed inboard the broad-backed halibut all out of myself with pride i was i that was no more than a lad but hauling halibut trawls with full-grown gloucester men on the grand banks and the passage home that trip simon oh boy that passage home without even a halt in his heaving in of the trawls he took to singing it came one day as it had to come i said to you good-bye good luck said you and a fair fair wind though you cried as if to die was all there was ahead of you when we put out to sea. But now, sweetheart, we're headed home to the westard and to thee. So blow, ye devils, and walk her home, for she's the able Lucy Foster. The woman I love is waiting me, so drive the Lucy home to Gloucester. Oh, ho, ho, for this heaven-sent breeze, straight from the east and all ye please. Come along now, you whistling gales. The harder you blow, the faster she sails. Oh, my soul, there's a girl in Gloucester. He stopped to look over his shoulder at me. Simon, boy, I mind the days when there was no stopping the songs in me. Rolling to my lips of themselves they would come, like foam to the crests of high seas. The days of a man's youth, Simon. All I knew of a gale of wind was that it stirred the fancies in me. It's the most wonderful thing that'll ever happen you, Simon. What is, Skipper? Why, the lovin' a woman, and she lovin' you, and you neither knowing why, nor maybe caring. No woman loves me, Skipper. She will, boy, never a fear he took to the hauling and soon again to the singing my lad comes running down the street and what says he to me says he oh dada dada and you're back again from sea and did you catch a great big fish and bring him home to me oh dada dada take me up and toss me high says he my love looks out on the stormy morn; her thoughts are on the sea she says, "'Tis wild upon the banks,' and kneels in prayer for me. "'Oh, Father, hold him safe,' she prays, and—' "'There's one, Simon,' he called. A bad sea, he meant. They had been coming and going, coming and going, rolling under and past us, and so far no harm. But this was one more wicked to look at than its mates. So I dropped the coiling lines, and with the oar already to the becket in the stern, whirled the dory's bow head-on. The sea carried us high and far, and passing left the dory deep with water, but no harm in that so she was still right side up. "'A good job, Simon,' said Hugh Glynn, the while we were bailing. "'Not too soon, and not too late.' That was the first one. More followed in their turn, but always the oar was ready in the becket, and it was but to whirl bow or stern to it with the oar when it came, not too soon to waste time for the hauling, but never, of course, too late to save capsizing, and bailing her out, if need be, when it was by. Our trawl was in, our fish in the waist of the dory, and we lay to our roding line and second anchor so we might not drift miles to leeward while waiting for the vessel to pick us up. We could see the vessel, to her hull, when to the top of a sea we rose together, but nothing of her at all when into the hollows we fell together. She had picked up all but the dory next to windward of us. We would be the last, but before long now she would be to us. "'When you drop Simon and me,' go to the other end of the line and work back. Pick Simon and me up, last of all, Hugh Glynn had said to Saul, and I remember how Saul, standing to the wheel, looked down over the taffrail and said, Simon and you, last of all, and nodded his head as our dory fell away in the vessel's wake. Tide and sea were such that there was no use trying to row against it, or we would not have waited at all. BUT WE WAITED, AND AS WE WAITED, THE WIND, WHICH HAD BEEN SOUTHERLY, WENT INTO THE EAST, AND SNOW FELL, BUT FOR NOT MORE THAN A HALF HOUR, WHEN IT CLEARED. WE STOOD UP AND LOOKED ABOUT US. THERE WAS NO VESSEL OR OTHER DORY IN SIGHT. WE SAID NO WORD TO EACH OTHER OF IT, BUT THE WHILE WE WAITED FURTHER, ALL THE WHILE WITH A WINDERED EYE TO THE BAD LITTLE SEAS, WE TALKED. "'Did you ever think of dying, Simon?' Hugh Glynn said after a time. "'Can a man follow the winter trawling long and not think of it at times?' I answered. "'And have you fear of it, Simon?' "'I know I have no love for it,' I said. "'But do you ever think of it, you?' "'I do, often.' With the double tides working to draw me to it, it would be queer enough if now and again I did not think of it. And have you fear of it? Of not going properly, I have, Simon. And after a little, and I've often thought it a pity for a man to go, and nothing come of his going. Would you like to see for a grave, Simon? I would not, I answered. "'Nor me, Simon. A grand, clean grave, the ocean. And there was a time I thought I would, but not now. The green grave ashore, with your own beside you. "'A man will feel less lonesome, or so I've often thought, Simon.' "'I've often thought so,' he went on, his eyes now on watch for the bad seas." and again looking wistful-like at me i'd like to lie where my wife and boy lie she to one side and the lad to the other and rise with them on judgment day i've a notion simon that with them to bear me up i'd stand afore the lord with greater courage for if what some think is true that it's those we've loved in this world will have the right to plead for us in the next then simon there will be two to plead for me as few can plead he stood up and looked around it is a bad sea now but worse later and a strong breeze brewing simon and drew from an inside pocket of his woolen shirt a small leather notebook he held it up for me to see with the slim little pencil held by little loops along the edges "'Twas hers. I've a pocket put in every woolen shirt I wear to see, so it'll be close to me. There's things in it she wrote of our little boy, and I'm writing here something I'd like you to be witness to, Simon." He wrote a few lines. "'There, Simon. I've thought often in this trip how it is hard on John Snow at his age to have to take to fishing again. "'If I hadn't lost Arthur, he wouldn't have to. "'I'm willing my vessel to John Snow. "'Will you witness it, Simon?' "'I signed my name below his, "'and he set the book back in his inside pocket. "'And you think our time has come, Skipper?' "'I tried to speak quietly, too. "'I won't say that, Simon, "'but foolish not to make ready for it. I looked about when we rose to the next sea for the vessel, but no vessel. I thought it hard. "'Had you no distrust of Saul Haverick this morning?' I asked him. "'I had, and last night too, Simon.' "'And you trusted him?' "'A hard world if we didn't trust people, Simon. I thought it over again this morning and was ashamed, Simon to think it in me to distrust a shipmate. I wouldn't believed it of any man I ever sailed with. But no use to fool ourselves longer. Make ready. Over with the fish, over with the trawls, over with everything but thirty or forty fathom of that roding line, and the sail, and one anchor, and the two buoys. It was hard to have to throw back in the sea the fine fish that we'd taken hours to set and haul for, hard, too, to heave over the stout gear that had taken so many long hours to rig. But there was no more time to waste. Over they went. And we took the two boys, light made but sound and tight half-barrels they were, and we lashed them to the risings of the dory and now the sail to her, Simon. We put the sail to her. And stand by to cut clear our anchorage. I stood by with my bait knife, and when he called out, I cut. And away we went racing before wind and tide, me in the waist on, the buoy lashed to the windered side to hold her down. And he on the windered gunwale too, but aft, with an oar in one hand and the sheet of the sail in the other. "'And where now?' I asked, when the wind would let me. "'The lee of Sable Island lies ahead. The full gale was on us now, a living gale, and before the gale the sea ran higher than ever and before the high seas the flying dory.' Mountains of slate-blue water rolled down into valleys, and the valleys rolled up into mountains again, and all shifting so fast that no man might point a finger and say, Here's one! There's one! Quick and wild as that they were. From one great hill we would tumble only to fall into the next great hollow, and never did she make one of her wild plunges, but the spume blew wide and high over her, and never did she check herself for even the quickest of breaths, striving the while to breast up the side of a mountain of water, but the sea would roll over her, and I'd say to myself once again, now at last we're gone. We tumbled into the hollows and a roaring wind would drive a boiling foam, white as milk, atop of us. WE CLIMBED UP THE HILLS AND THE ROARING WIND WOULD DRIVE THE SOLID GREEN WATER ATOP OF US. WIND, SEA, AND MILK-WHITE FOAM BETWEEN THEM, THEY SEEMED ALL OF A MIND TO SMOTHER US. THESE THINGS I SAW IN JUMPS-LIKE. LAST TO THE WINDERED BOY I WAS BY A LENGTH OF ROADING LINE, TO MY KNEES IN WATER THE BETTER PART OF THE TIME, AND BUSY ENOUGH WITH THE baling. There was no steady-looking to Windard, such was the weight of the bullets of water which the wild wind drove off the sea-crests, but a flying glance now and again kept me in the run of it. I would have wished to be able to do my share of the steering, but only Hugh Glynn could properly steer that dory that day. The dory would have sunk a hundred times, only for the boys in the waist but she would have capsized more times than that again, only for the hand of him in the stern. Steady he sat, a man of marble, his jaw like a cliff rising above the collar of his woolen shirt, his two eyes like two lights glowing out from under his cap brim. And yet, for all of him, I couldn't see how we could live through it. Once we were so terribly beset that... We'll be lost carrying sail like this, Hugh Glynn. I called back to him, and he answered, I never could see any difference myself, Simon, between being lost carrying sail and being lost hove-to. After that, I said no more, and so to what must have been the wonder of wind and sea that day, Hugh Glynn drove the little dory into the night and the lee of Sable Island. End of chapter four recording by Roger Moline